One of the most immediate effects of 9-11-2001, as you think back on that fateful day, was that all of a sudden we all felt vulnerable, didn't we? Up to that point, we really thought terrorism was something that happened mainly over there in the Middle East or Iraq or Afghanistan, but not here, not here at home. And we realized suddenly that we were vulnerable, that they could come here, that they could attack us. It's much how I felt, I think, as a new believer, as I'd given my life to Christ and joined the fellowship and I was growing, it was an exciting time, and suddenly... I found myself struggling with doubts, depression, a number of different struggles that, for me, I I felt attacked, and yet my immediate response was, there must be something wrong with me. (laughs) I was surprised, I was shocked, and I felt like a failure. I find that most believers in this country, myself included a lot of times, (laughs) Don't take spiritual warfare seriously. We don't take our terrorist adversary, Satan, seriously. The Bible says very clearly, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy who's against us. But we talk about it very little. We don't think about it very much. We think if we struggle, it must be our fault. And so... He wins in the end. (laughs) And it makes us more vulnerable to his attacks. I like the old Keith Green song where he is singing a song as if Satan is speaking and he says, I used to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. It's getting very easy now because no one believes in me anymore. Truth is, we are in a war, folks. We are in a war for our very souls. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit's planted in our life. We are new creations in our inner man and inner woman. It's wonderful. It's fabulous. But see, Satan's been running our souls all the time up to that point, and so our souls become the battleground. Satan does not want to give up ground. God is determined to have our souls be His completely. And so our life becomes a battleground between Satan and God. Too many of us become casualties in the conflict as believers because we don't know how to recognize the tactics of the evil one and we don't know how to fight him. Well, today we are going to look at a passage that I hope as God teaches Israel how to fight their enemy, that we will learn how to fight ours as well. So if you haven't turned there already, turn to Exodus chapter 17, the passage that was read earlier, beginning in verse 8. Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8. Let me remind you the context of Exodus, where we are at chapter 17, almost halfway through the book. The book begins with Israel enslaved. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God steps in, uses Moses to bring them out of slavery through incredible miracles. 
through the ten plagues, through the crossing of the Red Sea. God redeems his people because he wants to create a people for himself. Then, after redeeming them from their slavery, he takes them into the wilderness. Why is that? Because, see, God wants them to learn how to trust him, how to depend on him. Up to that point, all they know is to do is how to be slaves. And God wants to help them learn to follow him, to be his people who can trust him and walk with him and express his life and be a blessing to the world around them. And it's the same with us. We become saved and we think somehow life's going to be easy and God takes us into the wilderness because he wants to grow us up. He wants to help us learn to depend on him and trust him so that we won't depend on the evil one. So there we enter the battle for our souls so we can learn to trust him more and learn to live by faith rather than by the flesh. So he takes Israel into the wilderness. He helps them learn to trust him. And today in our passage, he helps them learn how to fight, something we all need to learn. He helps them learn how to fight. First, he helps them learn to recognize the enemy. Then he gives them a strategy for fighting. And then he gives them hope for the future warfare that they will face. So let's look at those three parts together, beginning in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, who was Amalek. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother, remember? He's a picture of the flesh, the source of the Edomites who became enemies of Israel. But the Amalekites became especially cruel enemies of Israel. They were a nomadic people. They traveled around a lot and they were cruel and ruthless in the way they fought. We don't see it here, but over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God says this about them, beginning in verse 17. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. See, what Amalek did is they snuck up on Israel. Now, at this point in the journey, remember what happened last week? They were thirsty. They were grumbling. They were angry. Moses hit the rock with his staff and water poured out. They're just enjoying a great drink of water and the Amalekites attack. And we see in the passage in Deuteronomy, they love to go after the women and children and the sick, the infirm, the elderly. They would attack Israel and come in on the edges and try to get them when they were most weary, when they were most frustrated, when they were most vulnerable. They were terrorists. And if you follow the lives of Amalek and Israel throughout the Old Testament, Amalek continued to be a terrible enemy, the worst enemy, the only enemy that God said completely wiped them out. They became a picture for Israel of evil, of their ultimate enemy. They attacked through the book of Judges. They kept 
doing raids and attacking Israel. And then 1 Samuel, God tells King Saul, completely wipe out the Amalekites. He did not obey and he lost his kingship because of it. They continued to attack through the reign of David. At one point, they took David's family captive and David had to go rescue them. The Amalekites continued to attack through the reigns of the kings, even into the captivity when Israel was taken into Babylon. You know the wonderful story of Esther. As the people are in Babylon and the evil man Haman wants to completely wipe out the entire Jewish population throughout the entire Babylonian empire. And we are told in the book of Esther that Haman was an Amalekite. You see, the Amalekites are the enemies of God's people, always, forever. (laughs) And so they attack, a surprise attack. And I imagine that Israel must have been feeling, Lord, did you bring us out into the wilderness to slaughter us? What are you doing? Why is this attack coming now? I thought you saved us. What's going on, Lord? God didn't bring him out to be slaughtered, but they needed to learn how to fight and not just be slaves, but to be warriors for their God. They were going to be taking the promised land and have to defeat the Canaanites. They were going to have to defeat the enemy over and over again, and they needed to learn how to fight. And so God gives them this opportunity early in their journey in the wilderness so they can learn how to fight the battles of the Lord. And we need to learn to fight God's way as well. Who is our enemy? Who do the Amalekites represent for us? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Satan. If you want, you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Folks, our battle is not against other races, other countries, other religions people of those religions. It's not against a political party. (laughs) It's not against any of those things. Our battle is against the spiritual forces that are out there. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are at war, folks, and we need to not forget that. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Who's our enemy? It's Satan and the spiritual forces arrayed against us that are out to destroy us. And we need to recognize his tactics. Much like the Amalekites, he loves to attack us when we're weakest. He loves to attack us when we're tired when we're struggling, when circumstances are difficult, when we're most vulnerable, he attacks us. This Wednesday, I'd had a hard week. It was emotionally depleting. I was struggling, and I woke up with a terrible migraine. 
I get them once in a while, but it was probably the worst I'd ever had. Felt terrible. I got about halfway through the day, and all of a sudden the light went on. I'm preaching on spiritual warfare. (laughs) What do I expect? I wouldn't be surprised if some of you had very hard weeks. Because the evil one does not want to be exposed for who he is. I got a call from one of my kids at 12.21 a.m. this morning who had a problem. I laid awake for the next hour, hour and a half. Does Satan like to attack us? Absolutely. How does he attack us? Well, in the New Testament it says very clearly that he is called the deceiver, the liar, The accuser. Now think for a moment. Accuser, deceiver, liar. What part of us is he going to attack in those ways? Our minds. He loves to attack our minds. He's an accuser. You're worthless. Nobody could love you. You're never going to make it. You're a failure. He's a liar. He's a deceiver, wanting us to think that somehow God isn't trustworthy. Don't trust Him. You need to take care of yourself. God won't provide for you. Take life in your own hands. You deserve pleasure. You deserve to feel good. He suggests we're worthless, that we're fools, that we're unworthy, that we're unlovable and unloved, that we can't change, that God isn't trustworthy that you can't trust in God's goodness like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He fills our minds with doubts of our own salvation, doubts of God. You see, he loves to attack us in the mind. Any thought that you have that violates the truth of Scripture is an attack from the evil one. Have you ever thought of it that way? We tend to go, oh, well, gee, why am I thinking that? And, and we think it comes from us. Any thought that violates the truth of Scripture is ultimately an attack from Him. And we need to recognize it as such. I see that many of us, myself included at times, we blame ourselves for those thoughts. We think they're our fault. We don't see them as an attack. And then they work just as Satan wants them to, which we get discouraged and beaten down. Satan attacks us through the mind, but he also attacks us through the emotions, through the heart. He loves to play with our emotions. I like the way Ray Stedman put it. We are so used to believing our feelings. From babyhood, we have been used to reacting to the way we feel and accepting the way we feel as a legitimate and accurate description of the way things are. Nothing could be more foolish. (laughs) From his book, Spiritual Warfare. Nothing could be more foolish than to really think that our feelings are an accurate description of reality. They're not. Feelings are feelings, and Satan loves to play with them. He loves for us to depend on our feelings for our faith, for our spiritual life. So he throws 
ideas like, you know, I'm close to God when I feel close to God. Did you know that's a lie? I mean, feelings are nice, but you can be close to God no matter how you feel because that's not where closeness to God comes from. It comes out of trust, not feelings. Fear is one of his greatest weapons. He loves to make us afraid, afraid of someone else, afraid of the future. Anxiety. He loves to play with our emotions and stir up anxiety. He plants thoughts that stir up fear and anxiety in us that incapacitate us. Resentment and anger towards another person. Unforgiveness. Satan loves to stir those up in us to destroy our fellowship and our unity. A lust for pleasure, for comfort, for sex, whatever. Covetousness. He loves to stir those up as well. Satan attacks us through the head, but he also attacks us through the emotions. And we need to look at our emotions and realize, you know what? They're just feelings, but they're not reality ultimately. The feelings are real, but they are not a description of reality. So let's recognize the enemy. He attacks us in the head. He attacks us in the emotions. And he also can attack us in our body and our circumstances. That's sure clear from the book of Job. Look what happened to Job. God gave him freedom. Again, he has no freedom unless God, because God is ultimately in control, but he attacked Job's home life, his finances, his work, I think ultimately his marriage, and his health. Satan attacked Job in all those areas. And his goal is always discouragement, fear, distraction, unbelief, that we would turn our backs on God and think God somehow is not trustworthy. We need to learn to recognize the enemy, that when you have these thoughts or these feelings that are pulling you away from trusting God, they're an attack from the enemy, and you need to look at them as such. Okay? So we need to recognize the enemy. But how do we fight him? Well, let's look how God taught Israel to fight, and I think we learned some wonderful principles about how we can fight. Verse 9 and 10. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. This is an amazing story. Joshua, it's the first time we get introduced to Joshua. Joshua, who has a book of the Bible, the book of Joshua, who led Israel into the promised land and defeated the Canaanites. He was the great general. Here's how he learned to fight in this very passage. So Moses says, get an army together. Choose men, go out, fight, step out and take the enemy, okay? Get going, use your energy, use your ability and fight. Be disciplined, go out, step out and fight. Then, notice verse 11, very strange. (laughs) As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning. But when he lowered his hands, 
the Amalekites were winning. Moses had his staff, the staff of God. Remember, this is the staff that he has Moses take that was just his shepherd's staff that when he saw God at the burning bush, he was holding. And God used that staff, that common staff, that piece of wood to become the symbol of God's power for Israel all the way through the wilderness as they were fighting. It became a snake. It became the picture of power for Moses as he defeated Pharaoh in the 12 plagues. He held up the staff to part the Red Sea. He used it to strike the rock and brought water from the rock. It's the symbol of power. And Moses says, I'll go up on the hill and I'll have the staff of God, the symbol of God's power. And you fight, Joshua. And God didn't tell him anything else. I think it must have been a little bit strange for Moses up there because he's going, yeah, go, guys. Go. Come on, fight. Go get them. All right, good job. Good job, Joshua. Yeah, that's great. Wait, they're losing. Come on, guys. Get up. Come on, go. Go. Come on. Yeah, that's it. Go. Fight. Push them back. That's the way. Wait. What's happening here? <laughs> Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I better hold this thing up. (laughs) It's kind of strange, isn't it? But he learned over time that the staff of God, which represented God's presence and his power to Israel, it was the visual presence of God and his power, that Moses had to hold that staff up or they were going to lose. You see, God had to be in the fight, right? It wasn't just Joshua's ability and his discipline and his fighting that allowed them to win. In fact, ultimately, the battle belonged to the Lord, and they had to have his power over the battle. They had to depend on him. They had to see his power raised over the battlefield. You can't win. You can't defeat your enemy, God says, without me. So you need to depend on me and my power. But listen to verse 12 and 13. When Moses' hands grew tired, (laughs) they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Moses was 80, 81, 82 years old at this point. He started to get tired and he couldn't keep He wanted to, but he couldn't keep the staff up. And so Aaron and Hur, who were on the mountain with him, rolled up a stone so he wouldn't have to move. He could stand firm right where he was. And he could sit down. And then they stood on each side and held his arms up. And as they did so, the battle continued all day long until Joshua finally defeated the enemy. What do we learn from this battle about our own warfare with the evil one? Well, one of the things we see is it takes discipline to fight the enemy. We need to choose men. We need to go out and we need to fight. We have to be disciplined. We don't just sit back and think God's going to take care of it. He wants us in the battle. We need to stand firm, told over and over again, 
In that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, in our battle against the evil one and his forces, stand firm. We're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, so we need to make efforts in the battle. How do we do that? We need to take every thought captive, we're told. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. We need to reject the lies. Wait a minute. Yeah, I don't do everything right. I I may be a failure at times, but ultimately I'm God's child. And I'm not a failure. God is at work in me and he's changing me. And yeah, confess our sins when when we fail, when we sin. But then go back and remind ourselves we're his beloved. He's chosen us. And we remind ourselves of the truth through discipline. And we reject the lie that somehow our feelings define our lives. I feel bad, but Lord, the truth is, and I will choose to believe it, is that you are God, you are Lord, and I can trust you. So we remind ourselves of the truth. As Ephesians 6 says, we gird our loins with the truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We put put on the helmet of salvation. We take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Reminding ourselves of the truth. Rejecting the lie. Realizing that's from the evil one. If you feel unlovable, you need to remind yourself. Feelings don't define reality. God proved his love for me on the cross. So we're disciplined. We remind ourselves of the truth. We have to work at this, folks. God wants us in the battle. But secondly... Like Israel had to learn, we need dependence, discipline and dependence, realizing that ultimately the battle is the Lord's, it's not mine. I can't defeat Satan, but God already has. He's far more powerful than Satan or any of his minions. Therefore, I can trust him and keep my eyes on him. I need to recognize I don't have the power to to defeat Satan, but God has. So when you feel those battles, just simply say, In Jesus' name, leave me alone. I'm going to keep my eyes on you, Lord. I'm going to keep my eyes on you over the battlefield, your power. That's what I'm depending on. Your life, your strength, not mine. And you keep the arms of faith up. But notice, Moses could not do that alone. Joshua would have lost the battle. Moses would have lost the battle. They would have been defeated if it weren't for Aaron and her. So we need discipline and we need dependence on the Lord, but we also need interdependence with one another. You are not going to defeat the enemy. You are not going to win the spiritual battle unless you're interlocked with others who are praying for you, who are helping you in the battle, who are helping you keep your arms of faith up. So you need to ask yourself this morning, who is your Aaron and who is your her? Who are the ones that support you when you get down? And you're struggling. Who do you turn to? Who are you meeting regularly with in this spiritual battle? Praying for each other. Caring for each other. Encouraging each other to trust God even though it's hard. Find a few friends to pray with and be interlocked with them and help them hold their arms up as well. We need one another in this battle. So we need discipline, we need dependence on the Lord, and we also need interdependence with one another. We were never meant to fight this spiritual battle 
alone. I have a few men in my life that periodically the Lord just lays on their heart to encourage me in some way, and it's always when I need it. They'll send me an email or give me a phone call or we'll get together for coffee, and I I couldn't survive without my errands and my hers in my life, and neither can you. Because we, we don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. So in the end, what can really give us confidence in the battle? Because sometimes the battle seems overwhelming and it feels like there's no way we can win this. Listen to verse 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Two things he says. Write this down. Write this down. Make sure Joshua hears it because he's going to be leading the armies of Israel. I will completely blot out Amalek from under heaven. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to win the war. The war's over. And you need to write this down so Joshua will always be encouraged because in the battle it feels like sometimes you're going to lose. But remember... Write it down. Never forget that God has ultimately won the battle and he will ultimately defeat the enemy forever and ever. The battle's over. The war is won. And then secondly, built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner because the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites forever and ever. This is a reminder that God is going to keep fighting all the way through. He will never abandon the field. Not only is the war won in the end, but no battle that you are in will God leave you alone. He will be in every battle. He will be at war against the enemy from generation to generation. I love this picture of the banner. The Lord is my banner. What's he talking about? Well, the banner, the word here that's used is the idea of when there's a war, when there's a battle, it's a flag of the army that flies over the field that says, this is our field. We are in control. This is one of the most famous pictures ever. It's a picture that was taken at Iwo Jima after the, one of the, probably the most difficult battle of World War II, where 22,000 Japanese were dug in underground and 110,000 Americans came and fought a horribly bloody battle with 25,000-some casualties. Virtually all the Japanese were killed in the long run, and when we finally took the island, these men lifted the flag to say, this is our banner. We've won. It's our battlefield. Same thing happened at 9-11. Even though there was tragedy and a horrible thing, the flag was lifted up to say, you know what? We're not defeated. This is our ground. We are victorious over this ground. 
And so God tells Moses, and Moses says, this is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He's the one I look to. He's the one who's over the battlefield. He's the one I trust. So whenever I'm in a warfare, I look to him. I keep my eyes on him. He's in control. I can't defeat the enemy, but he can. He's in control of the battlefield, and we can keep our eyes on him. You know the star-spangled banner. Do you ever listen to the words? Really think about the words sometime. Just the first line, oh say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Francis Scott Key wrote that as they watched for the, the battle from Fort McHenry and the British were attacking and, and they saw the flag, the American flag, flying over the fort at twilight, but would it be there in the morning? And that whole verse is about Yes, the rocket's red glare. We can see it's still flying, and in the morning it was still there. We're still in control of the fort. We're still victorious on the battlefield. There's two great truths here for us to hang on to in the battle, for Joshua to hang on to, for us to hang on to, and to never forget, as a banner over the battlefield, victory is assured. God's promised he will defeat the enemy in the end. We're ultimately only doing mop-up work, folks. As Brian Morgan wrote, the cross, the cross, was the D-Day of God's war with evil, the ultimate battle. For at Golgotha, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, Colossians 2.15. Since that time, we have been engaged in a war of liberation, invading the oppressive death camps and proclaiming release to the captives. When the Allies invaded, D-Day took ground back in France and began moving it. The war was over at that point. Victory was assured. It was just a matter of liberating the death camps, freeing those that had been taken captive, And that's the kind of war we are involved in. The battle is won. Second great truth is God will never stop fighting. He'll never abandon us on the field of battle. His resources are always available. I will never leave you or forsake you, he tells us. And these are the truths that should be the banner over every day of our lives, every battle we face. God, the victory is won in you, and you are with me in the battle, and I can trust you. I can depend on you. No matter what I'm facing, I can remember your truth and live accordingly. Satan cannot win in your life. It's impossible. God will always keep fighting until more and more of your heart is his. It's a battle, but the battle's won. Folks, spiritual warfare is real. It is. Satan wants to derail us from trusting Jesus. And help us live in discouragement, being worthless for building the kingdom of God. But ultimately, he's a defeated foe. And you don't need any kind of special exorcisms or anything else to fight him. You just need to stand firm, remind yourself of the truth, reject his lies, and keep your eyes on Jesus, who has already won the battle. By faith, believe what's true, and Satan will flee. He ultimately has no power over you. You know, Moses that day lifted a piece of wood and said, this is the picture of God's power and presence. 
1,400 years later, another servant of God hung on a piece of wood. And that piece of wood became the symbol for all of us of God's presence and God's power. Satan's defeated because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So keep your eyes on the cross. The battle is fierce, but you're fighting a battle that's already been won. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this battle's too big for us, but it's not too big for you. Help us, Lord, to recognize the tactics of the evil one, to reject him, to be disciplined about that, but to keep our eyes on you and trust that it's you that can fight the battle and defeat the enemy, and it's you that have already won. Lord, make us good soldiers for your kingdom. Take your ground in our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
me close in reading part of Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit, be an Aaron, be a her. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. It's your greatest weapon against the enemy. So walk with our Lord in victory this week. God bless.